Hello and welcome to Beauty Island, the award-nominated beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I am your host, beauty journalist Brittany Stewart. In each episode, I sit down with a guest and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them. The ones they take to a desert island or beauty island that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the first beauty product they ever bought, the one that gives them their signature look, or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. Thank you so much for the comments and feedback on last week's address of coronavirus. Obviously, even in the space of a week, things have changed dramatically. And again, while this interview was done remotely over the phone, as my partner works in a hospital, so I've been implementing social distancing for a little while, this interview was done before things escalated to the point that we currently find themselves in. And as I'm trying to do with most of my episodes, we don't talk about the virus. Instead, I hope it can be a brief respite for the overload, but essential updates of information that we all find ourselves consuming. Today, my guest is Sarah Laidlaw award-winning hair and makeup artist and current hair and makeup director of Priceline. And I really do mean award-winning. Sarah has won Australia's prestigious Session Stylist of the Year no less than five times. She's had work published in top local and international magazines, worked with some of the best photographers and celebrities, and has experience working on everything from TV shows to high fashion editorial to music videos to runways. It has been a glittering 29 years with no end in sight. It was also a complete joy to talk to someone who is so obviously passionate about what she does. You will hear it so very clearly in her voice when she talks about it. We talked about her inherited love for chapstick, why an eyelash applicator is a complete game changer, and my favourite, she busts a popular myth about the price tag on makeup products, which will absolutely blow your mind or vindicate what you've always thought. Either way, it is a must listen. And obviously, as Priceline celebrates its Festival of You campaign, running until the 26th of March, we also had a really interesting conversation about the visibility of women over 40 in media and beauty advertising. Obviously, as you'll hear in our discussion, there is a noticeable lack of women who aren't teenagers or 20, and the campaign, the Festival of You, aims to celebrate individuality and put a bit of a spotlight on that Sarah also shared an Instagram account celebrating women over 50 that you need to follow and since doing so early this week it has certainly been brightening my feed. As always if you enjoy this episode please subscribe, rate five stars and write a review and if you're listening share a screenshot on your Instagram story and tag me at Beauty Island Podcast so I can see it and share it too. If you need some more beauty escape don't forget you can sign up to my beauty newsletter called It's a Beauty the link is in the show notes or find me on Instagram at Brittany Beauty BTS. Now over to Sarah. Enjoy. Sarah, welcome to Beauty Island. Hi, thanks for having me. Such a beautiful thing, isn't it? What sparks our memories. I know. it's it's. So I'm really excited to hear the stories behind the products that you're going to share today. But to start off with, can you remember your first memory of beauty? Did you grow up in a very um, household that was interested in beauty or not? Not particularly beauty, but definitely fashion. 
definitely clothes, definitely getting dressed up to go out, definitely makeup and perfume, but not necessarily like my mum wasn't a massive makeup like wearer. She always wore it, but I don't really remember it particularly but I remember her perfume and I remember her getting dressed up. The first product on your list is one you kind of grew up around, which for you is is a, a basic essential, which is chapstick. So tell me about your memories with that. So my grandmother literally would have had eight chapsticks on the go at once in all different places in the house, in bags, in cars, in pockets. It was just always her thing. And it just, every time I see chapstick, that's what it makes me think of. And, you know, my family, all my, the women in my family, I don't know, it's just this weird genetic dry lip thing. And so none of us really wear lipstick. We all just wear, like, lip balms and, you know, chapsticks and that kind of stuff. So it's such a part of my life. And when you were growing up, when you were at high school, were you always creatively minded? What did you think you would end up doing for a career? <laughs> I thought I was going to be a barrister. <laughs> a barrister, really? Yes, I really did. Um, and then I went and did work experience at a law firm and thought, uh, no. Um, my school diary was a work of art, but <laughs> I didn't necessarily feel like I was good at art. You know what I mean? Like, I think I was always creative, but not really like in a subject, you know, as such. And so I think it just all kind of came together after school. I think that's a really interesting point because I think nowadays we see so many different varieties of the way that you can express creativity, but you're right, in a school environment, it's kind of drama, music or art. If you don't fall into any of those, then you don't know where to channel it almost. Well, exactly. And I think everybody's just pushed so hard to make big life decisions in grade 10, Mm. you know, or when they're choosing their subjects and stuff. And you go, oh my God, like... There is no way I would be happy if I'd continued down the path I thought I was going to take in grade 10. So tell me about those very early years in the industry when you decided this is what you wanted to pursue and how you got your break into it. I fell into the beauty industry kind of by accident. So grade 12, end of year 12, meant to be studying, procrastinating (laughs) like crazy. And I started reading the newspaper which I never did, and I saw hairdressing and I thought, oh, that would be fun to do work experience because I went to a girls' school in Brisbane and they sent us out on a lot of work experience and I found it really interesting, which is why I decided not to be a lawyer because, of course, I did work experience in law firm and hated it. And so I thought, oh, that'd be fun, ha, ha, ha. It'll be interesting to see what they do, but not thinking any further and I talked my way into a week of work experience at one of the best salons in the city and in that first week my little 17 year old brain kind of exploded because I was helping them make avant-garde weeks while like I was doing this work experience and my brain was like what this is fun and of course I ran around to every person and kind of said, please cut my hair off. Can you cut my hair off? By the end of the week, I had short hair. And during that week, uh, like at the end, the boss kind of said to me, okay, come in on Monday and we'll talk. And I was like, okay. Didn't question it. Didn't even think what he would be talking about. And I went in on the Monday and he said, okay, you start now. And I was like, start what? And he's like, your apprenticeship. And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to uni. And he's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, um. work experience and he's like no you're here because I need an apprentice and I was like oh 
And he went, look, it's the beginning of December. We need someone through that Christmas time. You're really hard work. You've got a hard, good work ethic. Everyone gets on with you. Why don't you have a Christmas job? You know, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, yeah. And then by the time uni came out, I went to one of my senior hairdressers, you know, above me and kind of went, oh, my God, what should I do? And he just went, are you having fun here? And I went, yeah. And he said, why don't you defer? Go next year. And I went, yeah, I'll do that. (laughs) And I just never went. And so you are in Brisbane. You've accidentally managed to land yourself an apprenticeship. Yes, and I just continued and I did my hairdressing apprenticeship and at the end I just went, I think I want to be a fashion stylist. And so I started working with a fashion photographer in Brisbane and she said, look, I'll teach you everything what to do and I'll pay you once you know what you're doing. And I was like, okay. So I stayed working two days a week um, in a salon and I went and worked with her for six months without getting paid. And funny enough, all of the like hair and makeup people in Brisbane, you know, who would do shoots, they weren't hairdressers. They were hair stylists. They did a bit of hair. And of course, Brisbane was, you know, in the fashion industry, was quite small at that time. And so everybody knew I was a qualified hairdresser and they were like, oh my God, I'm embarrassed. I'm not touching hair in front of you. They'd go, you have to do it. And I'd be like, oh my God, okay. So I was also then doing the hair and teaching them on set. But while I was doing that, I'd then have to wait for them to do the makeup. And I'd just be like, oh, that's interesting. What's that product? What did that do? Oh. And I was kind of thought I was learning for myself and I was just really watching. And as a, as a young hairdresser, a lot of your training is standing behind a senior and watching what they do. And you really learn to be a visual learner. And so I really learned a lot from all those different makeup artists that I worked with. And I would go home and, you know, do it on my best girlfriends and send them off to work with these crazy makeups and crazy hairdos. And, <laughs> you know, it was so much fun. And it just kind of kept going. Are there any standout makeup looks or, or hair looks that you had personally from that time that you kind of look oh, back fondly on God, or not yes. so fondly? Oh, come on. Like, so I did my hairdressing training from 1990 to 1994. So the early 90s was a hair era. Like it wasn't as crazy as the 80s, but it was definitely on the, on the cusp of it. <laughs> um, so haircuts, you know, if you had long hair, you were Amish. You know, you may as well have been, you know, the the mousiest librarian on the block because everyone had short hair with crazy colour in it. So I had had short, curly red hair. I had short, cropped, like I mean half an inch long, black hair with curly purple hair extensions coming out of it around my face. Oh, wow. Um, I had cropped hair with a hair extension fringe over one eye. I then, as it got kind of into the later years of my apprenticeship, so around 94, I had African braids because then it wasn't, you know, considered culturally inappropriate to do that. It was just, we loved it, so we were doing it. I had dreadlocks down to my bum, dreadlock hair extensions down to my bottom. Um, I had a lot of fun. You've tried them all, yeah. (laughs) And my mum would just look at me and she just, my mum is never negative about anything. Um, to do with body image or anything like that. But she'd just look at me with some of this weird hair and she'd go, are you going to keep that for very long? (laughs) And I'd go, I don't know. And she'd go, okay. (laughs) And that was her comment. And I'd go, oh, (laughs) righto. The second product on your list are the first two products that you remember owning yourself, which are the Cutex Blue Opal Lipstick and and a perfume. So tell me what they are and, and what your memories are with those two as well. 
Okay, so the perfume was when I was really little. One of my dad's thing, stories he tells is when I was about to turn three years old, he said, what would you like for your birthday? And I looked at him apparently and I went, jewellery and perfume, please, Daddy. <laughs> and he just went, oh, my God. <laughs> and so for my third birthday, I got a bottle of Arpege, which was a long van perfume. I don't even know if it's still around. I think it's still around, but it's not widely widely sold anymore but oh that smell is still just such a memory and then when I kind of was in my teens like kind of late 80s there was a there's a there's a brand called Cutex it's owned by Revlon these days and they do nail polish remover but in the day back in the day they did nail polishes and they had this color called blue opal and it was like baby pink with blue opalescence through it hideous and <laughs> fabulous like and the, the lipstick just made you look dead but I loved it <laughs> oh it was just you know you just went when your mother goes no you, that doesn't suit you you go I don't care I love it and I wore it all the time but it was hideous and and brilliant at the same time and before we leave you in your teens the third product in your list is also one that you Regard as defining your teenage years, which is liquid liner. How thick and heavy are we talking? Well, probably not teenage because I went to a private girls' school, so we weren't allowed to wear anything. And you know what? Late 80s, no one was really wearing makeup, to be honest. Mm. Like like the girls in their teens these days are an entirely different beauty breed to what was happening back then. Like I just think, wow, I wouldn't have even known how to do anything when I was at high school. Um, but in my kind of maybe, well, I guess it's still teens, 18, 19, by the time I was out in the workforce, liquid eyeliner. I would do a cat eye every single day of my life and do it on my two best girlfriends who I lived with as well. So I'd have them lined up in, in the kitchen doing, um, doing liquid liner before everyone went off to work. And you have now over 20 years experience working in the industry and you've done something. 29 29, now. incredible. 29, I know. You've done that so- a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you've done some amazing, amazing things in that time. When you look back, what are some of the highlights of, pe- uh, of people you've got to work with or jobs? If you want to do any name dropping, <laughs> now is the time. Oh, look, the celebrity thing's interesting because, you know, Everybody gets really dazzled by it, but celebrities are just really, at the end of the day, they're normal people who just have higher pressure jobs, I think. Um, So I did Mel B while she was out here for like a year and a half, and I did X Factor and the Kids Voice and Dancing with the Stars with her. Um, Like I've done Kelly Rowland's hair. Um, I've done Duffy. I've done, oh, my God, there's so many. And, you know, when you go to think of them, you go, Oh, I can't remember anyone. And then when you look at the list that you've kept to remind yourself, you go, oh, oh, yeah, about <laughs> them. But it's funny. People always go, who was your favourite? And weirdly, it wasn't a woman. Who was it, if you can share? Lenny Kravitz. Very cool. Oh, my God. People always go, is he really as cool as you think he is? And I'm like, yep, <laughs> he is actually that cool. Like, I don't, I don't get dazzled by stars. I really don't. If I see someone... Like, I actually, I was on a job in Rome and they were saying, oh, we have a big star staying in, you know, and, and one of the people in the crew said, can you tell us who it is? And the PR person went, of course not. And it was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. We're all like, oh, whatever. It's probably some rapper we've never heard of. We don't actually care. 
And then we were in the lobby waiting to go out to dinner and I felt the whole feeling in the lobby change and I kind of turned around and usually if I see someone famous, I think, I know that face, I know that face, I know that face, who the hell is it? I can't think of their name, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. But it was Anthony Hopkins and he walked in and I just went, because the the photographer I was with had his back to me and I went, I had his back to Anthony Hopkins and I went, that's Anthony Hopkins. And he just went, oh. And we were sitting down and he kind of walked straight towards us and I went, hello. It is so nice to see your face. I don't know, it just came out of my mouth. It was really funny. But I don't get dazzled by stars very often. And he stopped and went, hello. And I shook my hand like I was an old friend because he thought, oh my God, I've obviously met you before. (laughs) And I'm meant to know you, (laughs) which was actually hysterical. (laughs) But I don't get dazzled. But with Lenny Kravitz, oh my God, I did his hair and makeup. And then when he walked out, I went, oh my God, his energy is just giant. You know how people talk about star quality? Some people that, I don't know, aura, vibe about them kind of reaches for about 20 meters and you just go wow now I get it so yeah he was pretty he was pretty dazzling but yeah it's been like it's been pretty incredible like what I've gotten to do in my job it's so lucky and you've really done everything you've worked on high fashion shoots tv shows as you said runways music videos all very high pressure kind of environments where do you feel like you're in your element or most creative, what what type of job is your favourite to do? Well, my favourite to do is probably – look, I, I do love a, a, a mix of them because if I had to do high fashion, you know, runway stuff every day, I'd be really burnt out. If I had to do, um, you know, like TV commercials and that kind of thing, it's a different kind of energy. If I had to do beauty shoots – I'd be creatively exhausted, you know, so everything is good, have a little bit of everything and it kind of has these different highs and and, and relaxed parts of that. But my favourite, if I had to choose, is the high kind of fashion beauty shoot. So for those who don't really kind of understand, it's like a beauty shot is when it's cropped in kind of on the head and shoulders or very close to the face. And you just see pretty much the hair and makeup in graphic detail. And that's where you can get really creative with hair and makeup and just create an image for the sake of it being beautiful. So you can put weird things on the face and weird shapes in the hair and it's absolutely unwearable, but (laughs) absolutely beautiful. That's my favourite. And you would do a fair bit of travel with fashion weeks and going to jobs all over the place. When you are constantly on the road, say for a period like fashion month or fashion weeks does the novelty of the job ever wear off or do you genuinely enjoy every day that you do the only thing that wears off is carrying the bags to be honest (laughs) like because they're heavy you know like most makeup artists you know like I just came back from doing Banff which is the Virgin Australia Melbourne Fashion Festival for Priceline so I'm their makeup and hair director at the moment um I came back with 97 kilograms of baggage Oh, my gosh. Just from Melbourne. Yeah. So that was actually, like, that's kind of the only thing. that Carrying the bags is annoying. I need a Sherpa. But apart from that, the travel, you know, going to different places. Because when you travel for a photo shoot, you're actually going to some really beautiful locations, some really beautiful hotels. You often get to go where the general public 
don't get to go. You get to see things you may never have seen before. So it's actually awesome, you know, and you get to travel. You're actually away and being paid to be away. It's brilliant. I don't know why people would um, complain about it. I think also it makes it easier that I don't have children. So for me, traveling isn't like a really hard pull at the heartstrings. Oh, my God, I'm not with my baby. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas I just go, woohoo, I'm in Paris. <laughs> woohoo, I'm in Italy. Like, it's awesome. The fourth product on your list is your greatest discovery, which is for you is an eyelash applicator. Tell me about Ooh, this. Yes. So you know how hard it is to put eyelashes on yourself? Yes. <laughs> if anyone has ever tried and, like, actually <laughs> just given just up halfway to throw their own yeah. head out the window by the end of it so eyelash applicators are a they're like a tweezer where the end instead of being spiky to pull hair out is like this long curved shape that kind of you can pick up the eyelash and literally put it on top of your lash and then you open it up and take it away and then you use it to press the false eyelash and your own natural lash together so it helps to push the lash onto where it needs to be without your big, you know, if you're trying to do it with your fingers, you've got these big fat fingers in the way you can't see anything. If you try to do it with normal tweezers, you kind of, I don't know, it's a bit stabby, you know? Yeah, less but intimidating. applicators are amazing. Like, and there's quite a few people are doing them now. Like Ardell have done some, Kiss, which is another lash kind of brand, have done them. And they're just brilliant and you know anyone that I kind of you know do hair and makeup on who goes oh I wish I could put lashes on myself I go right this is what you need and they all go oh and as a makeup artist they're really nice to use as well because you can see exactly what you're doing it's very easy you're not near someone's eye like you are you know if you try and use fingers and tweezers and things so I just love them I think they're brilliant handy for everyone I love that oh yeah and speaking of VAMP, obviously, as part of VAMP this year, Priceline have been doing their Festival of You campaign, which is really exciting. And research done um, by Priceline shows that only 12% of women over the age of 40 feel accurately or adequately represented in the media. So that's, you know, a large proportion of women over 40 essentially feeling invisible. Did that result surprise you? No, not at all. Why not? Not at all. Because how many people over 40 do you see? Unless they're like completely spectacularly young looking for their age, how many do you see in any kind of media, let alone Hollywood movies, let alone any of that? Think about your average advertising, your average beauty advertising, even when they're doing like, you know, anti-wrinkle creams and whatever you want are the new term to call anything anti-aging. I know that's not the, you know, the term, but even in that, they're using bloody 18-year-old models with perfect skin. Yeah. That's mm. it's such a good point, and I think one of the the topics that I've kind of been seeing seeing in this conversation is this almost irony that when a women over forty, you're actually getting to an age where you have increased confidence, not to mention increased buying power compared to when you're in your twenties, um, and yet they are being largely ignored, as you said, by media representation. So tell me a bit about what Festival U wants to kind of address with this or, or get people talking about. I think it's the most beautiful thing because everybody actually, 
has something incredibly beautiful about them and everyone has a different personality. So when I have like a normal woman sit in my chair to have their hair and makeup done, like they're not a professional model, you know, or an actress, right? So someone who's not used to being in the public eye, when that person sits in my chair, every person wants something different. So they're not all looking for the same thing. They're not all looking to look like they're 12. They're not all looking to look like they have giant lips. They're not. They actually just want to look like the best version of themselves. And that's what the Festival of You is celebrating. It's like it's actually about you and tailoring what you use, how you do it, to how you want to look, how you want to feel, and and your actual specific concerns about your skin type and your the way that your lips react to products and the way that this and and to just bring out your eye shape for the best version for you not not to try and look like the 16 year old russian supermodel that you don't look like <laughs> and obviously prasan had the beauty runway and the great thing about that was firstly it was a, a runway dedicated to beauty which was obviously very exciting and like you said it wasn't just models it was so many different personalities and incredible women walking was that essence of celebrating the individuality something you really wanted to bring out with all the people who walked their hair and makeup when you were approaching that? Oh, absolutely, because, you know, that's where confidence comes out, right? If if someone tries to make you look like not you, don't you feel weird? Like, imagine if someone put you in an outfit that had nothing to do with your personality. It's the same with hair and makeup. So hair and makeup really is like an extended accessory. And so if you don't feel like it's kind of your vibe, you feel awful. And so the design of all the hair and makeup looks for all these incredible women because they were all inspirational and that was the key to all of them in all different ways. So, you know, some were, you know, in the public eye, some had battled, you know, personal sort of stuff and come out the other side. Some were incredible service people who work, you know, alongside, you know, cancer and dementia and all of those things. Like they were all incredibly inspiring in their own way and incredibly different looking women, all heights, all sizes, all skin tones, all skin textures, all eye shapes, face shapes. Everything was different <laughs> and their personalities were so different. I think when we think of a woman in her 40s, one of the brilliant thing is there is no uh, fixed definition. And that's the point. The difference is the celebration compared to, say, 30 years ago when there's probably a bit more of a fixed idea of what a woman in her 40s necessarily should like, should look like. Um, I know it's changed so much. And how much fun is that for us? Who is someone in that age category who inspires you? I mean, there are so many and it's not just in that age category. It's. 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. There are so many women I just go, oh, my God, you're amazing. You know, like I always love like all of the, you know, the Hollywood stars who are still killing it. Like you look at J-Lo, you look at Jennifer Aniston, Liz Hurley. Absolutely. Ellen McPherson. Like there's even an Instagram account called 5050 So What Official. And it's all like women in their 50s and going, so what? You know, we're amazing. And they are. They're, they're either incredibly beautiful, incredibly accomplished, incredibly talented, incredibly intelligent, all of those things. But like I love Ida Buttrose. Oh my God, how inspirational is she? Amazing. Um, Iris Aprell, you know, the beautiful woman who in her... Yes, all the jewellery she has. ...became well known for her fashion. And that incredible um, documentary called Advanced Style. I love them. I love those women who just go, nah, 
I'm going to wear it and I don't care. And I, I adore that. So it's not just women in their 40s who inspire me. It's actually every age group, to be honest. Brilliant. And I, I love the sound of that uh, 50 So What Instagram account. I'm definitely going to yeah, have to follow really that. it's really good. It's <laughs> so good. You should absolutely follow it. The fifth products on your list are the ones that kind of contribute to your signature look or give you a bit of a confidence boost. For you, it is um, foundation, revolution, conceal and define and lashes, Ardell Wispies. Tell me about those two. Well, look, I'm 46 these days, so things are changing. My skin texture is changing, you know, like my eyelids and changing texture, all of that stuff. So what the, the makeup I used to do in my 20s, it just doesn't look the same anymore. And I find the things that make me feel really confident or what I reach for is a good coverage foundation. And so that uh, Revolution Conceal and Define is a full coverage. And it comes in one of those little applicators like that almost looks like a lip gloss, but a fat one. And so, you know, the applicator has a little, they call it a doe foot, like that little spongy doe foot on the end. And you go tap, tap, tap and put it on your face and then just um, blend it over with a brush. And it's actually really high pigment. So you can use a very thin amount, but get a really high coverage. And that's what I like because I can't have too much product on my skin anymore because you can see it because of the texture right and so a really high pigment sheer amount works really well and I go oh okay feeling right now you know cover those dark circles cover any like little bits and bobs and then I love a false lash because for me it just opens my eyes up it makes my eyes look bigger and it kind of my eyelashes are naturally very curly so they sit up so I put a false lash on and the lash covers my eyelid where it's starting to get papery. So that's why I reach for them. So my favourite are the Ardell Baby Wispies because they're quite short. So they don't look drag queeny, <laughs> you know. I love drag queeny lashes on a drag queen. I just don't particularly like them on myself, you know. So I kind of feel like that just gives me my dream lashes and that's what I do when I go out. It makes me feel fab. When you look particularly at the last decade working as a makeup artist what do you think has been the biggest shift or change that you've seen in the industry oh inclusivity the number of models who are asian dark-skinned brown-skinned indian descent african descent etc that are being used now complete difference it used to be pure anglo-saxon before that's major. You are renowned in the industry for your work and also because you, as you mentioned before, spe- you specialise or can do both hair and makeup. Is that common or is that still rare to be able to straddle both or is it kind of the expectation now? It is common that a lot of people do hair and makeup because in a lot of instances you're required to do both. As you get up into the higher kind of parts of high fashion, it was always you had to specialise. You either had to do hair or makeup. And if you did hair and a bit of makeup, you never really told anyone and you just specialised in hair and vice versa. But I kind of always went, I don't want to. <laughs> I like doing both. I, I think that's ridiculous. I don't think that you only can be good at one of them. That's stupid, you know. So I always kept doing both. There's not many people who kind of are hairdressers and makeup artists kind of at the same level. There's maybe about three 
but there's a lot of hairdressers who also do makeup and a lot of makeup artists who are hairstylists. So they'll, you know, they can style hair and do it, but they may not cut and colour. So it is, it is very widely, widely done. I don't know. I just guess I'm lucky that I'm well known for both. But obviously hair is where you started. Do you have one that you particularly lean to or still have the softest spot for or my soft spot is doing them both together yeah because then it's a bit more creative control but you know like on a normal in my normal world of doing shoots and you know all of that kind of thing definitely love doing both together if I do a personal client I love doing both together like I love having that you know I can pull it back in hair because we've done a strong eye or I can you know, pull it back and have really simple makeup because we've done a crazy hairdo or whatever. But look, if people often go, but if you had to choose. <laughs> so if we're talking the high fashion industry, not just people going to an event, if we're talking high fashion and doing those big beauty shoots and big editorial fashion shoots in magazines, if I had to choose between hair and makeup, I would choose hair. The only reason is I can do big, crazy, weird avant-garde hair on a model and keep her looking beautiful. But if I do big, weird, crazy makeup, it's a bit borderline. Like I prefer that, you know, just simple, beautiful makeup with twist rather than really crazy creative makeup like body paint and all of that kind of stuff so I feel like hair I can be super super creative whereas makeup I feel like there's just a bit more constraints on keeping someone looking incredibly beautiful the sixth product on your list is the one that you always repurchase which I think is the single most popular product on this podcast which is brilliant which is obviously Lanolips 101 Tell me why why you always repurchase this product. It's just the best, really. Like, you know, with that family background of dry lips, it's always a search for something that doesn't just not work. And that has been the single best thing ever. But as a makeup artist, like to have it in my kit, I can put it on someone's lips at the beginning of the makeup and by the end of the makeup, their lips are redesigned, reordered, rehydrated, re-bloody everything. <laughs> it's amazing. But also you can use it like topically on the skin because it's pure lanolin, you know, but you can also, it's high shine. So you can put like a bit on the top of the cheekbone, on the bridge of the nose, on the top of the cupid's bow for that beautiful natural kind of glow shine like you've just been and had a facial and it's just beautiful I just think it's brilliant it's a brilliant product and I love that it's Australian as well you have obviously tried lots and lots of products in your kit and both personal use do you think when it comes to makeup that price is always necessarily an indicator of performance or is it a bit of a myth no straight in there no no, no, no. Look, I think, so let's talk about clothing. So a dress being $200 versus being $45,000, is it really? Is it really that much better? Do you know? Yeah. It's not. It's actually not. It's the perception. And they can they can charge certain prices because of the perception, what people think it's worth, right? So look, a lot of those products that have really high-end, high-cost products. A lot of them also own the more mid-level, cheaper products and they make them in the same lab with the same scientists and sometimes, sometimes it's the same product repackaged and sold for different markets at different price points with different packaging. Yeah, wow. Yeah, 
And I think there, I mean, obviously there is something to be said in if you can afford higher end products and it brings you joy to go for it. But I think it's really refreshing to hear, particularly for people who might put pressure on themselves because they can't afford, you know, a $150 foundation or whatever. It's, um, I think it's nice that it, it comes down to formula and how a product works for you, not the price at all. Absolutely. And you know what? A lot of those what you would call mainstream product companies like the Maybellines, the Rimmels, the L'Oreal's, they're the ones that have got a lot of money in those labs with those incredibly clever scientists. You know, they're the ones raking in the money, I've got to tell you that. (laughs) So I think, you know, even though their price point is lower, often it's because they are selling so much product that they can make it a lower price point. And they're probably not uh, spending exactly the same amount of money on their packaging. Like you look at packaging, we're all suckers for marketing, absolute suckers for marketing or packaging. Like I have bought the same product in different colored packagings because the packaging was pretty. <laughs> and it's actually I've been the there same too. product and I know it is. Like it's actually crazy, but you know, we're all a marketer's dream really. And there's no judgment because some people just love packaging and some people just love you know, the idea of something being considered to be more special or higher end because of how it looks. But it's not always the case. Honestly, there are so many incredible, really affordable products out there. And my kits are actually full of them. The seventh product on your list is the perfume that has a special memory for you. So tell me what it is and and what the memories are. Oh, there's probably two like that spring to mind. So my great grandmother, was around till I was in grade four. So I was very lucky I got some really good time with her. And she always wore that really old perfume called 4711. And I think it actually still exists. And um, so that's such a strong childhood memory. But probably the strongest one was from my mum, you know, getting dressed up to go out to those dinner parties and go out to restaurants in incredible dresses. And I remember I'd sit on the bed and watch her getting ready. And the smell was always Rive Gauche which was that Yves Saint Laurent perfume in, and it's it's a round bottle with like a, a blue, silver and black stripe all the way down it. And it's, oh, that is my childhood memory, absolute special memory and will always be my mum to me. When it comes to either working with celebrities or models or I don't know, I don't want to call normal people, but people who aren't celebrities or I know, models. what do you call them? Like, it's funny. <laughs> the like, rest of us. We talk about it in we call them real women, which is stupid because models and celebrities are still real women. But I don't know, it just, I think it got coined that a long time ago and we've never really worked out a better, a better term. I, I know. Um, across all those, all those groups, what is the makeup or beauty question that you tend to get asked the most? Often it's how do I make it last longer? How do I make insert product here? Like foundation, lipstick, whatever. How do I make it last on my face for 12 hours? And I'm like, really? Well, look, there's long-lasting products, but they don't suit everyone's skin. You know, sometimes they get really chalky on particular skin types and stuff. Really, makeup is one of those things that you just kind of touch up. It's just, it is what it is, you know? You don't expect your your ironed dress to last for 12 hours, you know, when it's linen. You go, well, look, it just is what it is. Just take it with you, touch it up, and, you know, just keep your skin in the best condition you can so that it supports the makeup really beautifully. That's so interesting. I never thought how how much we kind of expect from some products, you know, to last. And, you know, you do see foundations that are like 24-hour or 25-hour, but I think that's reassuring to know that, you know, it's not – you or your skin, just some products won't last 
all day. No, but especially depending on when you're specific about the texture. So, yes, a 24-hour wear, it does last, but it's usually quite matte and quite thick. Yeah. So people go, I want it to be really dewy, but I want it to last forever. And you're like, yeah, you can't have everything. You literally can't. If it's dewy, it's going to move on your skin. It's going to be hydrating and shiny and glossy and it's not going to last forever. Like what do you, you can't have everything. So I think, you know, if, if you want things to last a long time, you have to be willing to accept what, what texture they have to be chemically in order to, you know, in the formulation to kind of sit on the skin because your skin has heat and your skin has moisture underneath it and oils and all of that. And that can't, keeps coming, keeps coming. And depending on what you're doing, you're out dancing. You're even, people just get heated up just getting in and out of their car and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think, look, as long as you're willing to accept what texture, you know, that kind of product has to be, then, you know, you can go with something like that. But that is one of the, the biggest questions is always how can I make it last longer? We've come to the final product on your list, which is the one that you would trust with your life, which for you is Egyptian magic. And I have to say, I have interviewed you previously where you've talked about this and you've got me onto it and I bloody love it. So, but tell me about why you love this product so much. Well, when you said, what would I trust my life with? I was like, okay, that's a really big question. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't, what would I trust in my beauty bag? That was like big. And I was like, okay, so if I'm being really serious about it, it has to be natural because if I'm trusting my life with it, I'm going, okay, I would like it to be natural ingredients. Yep. Um, also, it does so many things. So it, for people who don't know about Egyptian magic, it's, it's called an all-purpose skin cream and it's made with olive oil, beeswax, honey, royal jelly, bee pollen, propolis, which whatever propolis is, um, and all of that stuff in there, 100% natural. And it's been around forever and a day. But you can tame hair freeze with it. You can, like if you have very dry hair, you can put it through your hair a lot. Chap lips, it repairs, rehydrates skin. So you can use it as a moisturiser. You can use it as a body moisturiser. You know, you can then use it like on top of makeup as a high shine glow on the top of the cheeks, like a, you know, super sheeny on the eyelid. It's actually amazing that it does so many things. And so I was kind of thinking if I have to really trust something and be able to use it a lot and it's like a go-to for a lot of things, I think that's the one. We've talked a lot about your relationship and, and career with beauty. Um, if we step outside that for a second, what are your passions outside of that? If you had a Sunday off work, what would your ideal Sunday look like? Oh, ideal Sunday. Probably being with friends, eating out, being outside in the sun, all of that kind of stuff. It's weird though. I feel like, I don't know, when people go, what are your hobbies? I'm like, mm, I think my job's my hobby. Yeah. I don't think it feels like a job. I think it's it's just fun. It's just a fun way to, way of life. And so if I had a Sunday off, honestly, I'd probably do a beauty shoot. <laughs> I'd probably create I love that. a shoot, which was, you know, pull in a model, pull in the photographer, do something creative for fun. That's a yeah, sign that you're in the perfect job then, isn't it? I know, so lucky. 
so lucky. I could literally spend about five minutes alone reeling off all the awards that you have won in your career, which I will save for the intro so you don't have to hear me talk about them. Um, but when you look at success, how do you how do you view success or how do you define it personally? Oh, that's a good question. Look, I think there's two phases to it. You know, I mean, I have been brought up in the Western school system in Australia, which is very achievement-based. Um, and so to actually have things that you can say you've physically achieved, like an award or like having worked with this particular group or done this kind of work, that is definitely a marker of success for most of us and definitely for me. But honestly, my real gut kind of thing of success is do I – Am I happy to get up every day and go and do what I do? How do I feel while I'm there? And, like, one thing that I've kind of all taken from my family, and I don't know if it's direct, but it's something that I've come to, is when I am in my 90s and I look back on my life, I want to be able to go, oh, God, I had a good time, not oh, slogged it out doing something I hated just to make money to eat. Like, and not everybody has that uh, that luck to find that or to fall into that like I did. I feel very, very fortunate. Um, but I do kind of feel very successful because I actually really like every day, you know. I really, really like it. It's fun. You know, when people ask all the time, but this particular person said to me, you know, oh, do you like what you do? And I was like, yes. Are you kidding? And they looked at me and I went, I work in the most delightful, lovely, cherry on the top of the icing on the top of the cake of life part of the world. I am either making people beautiful for a magazine or a photo shoot or making an, an everyday woman feel incredibly beautiful for something, a really important event in her life, I'm working in the best part of everything. It is, there is no stress. Well, the stress that's there is ridiculous because you're not saving lives and you're not curing cancer. But, like, it's just awesome. And so for me, that's success. I feel incredibly successful because... I like my days. It's so nice. I love that approach because it's something, that kind of test that you, those three questions that you asked yourself, anyone, no matter what industry they're, they're in, can apply that. So I really love that attitude. And, you know, you can't question, you can hear the delight coming from your voice when you speak about oh, what you do. Yeah, it's so lucky. I'm so glad. You have talked us through the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for you. And now I'm going to ask you the final question, which is if you could take just one of the products that you've talked about today with you to Beauty Island, the desert island I'm sending you to, <laughs> which one would you pick? And I will add a disclaimer that I always give you sunscreen, so you're protected about that. And it yes. doesn't have to be a practical product. It can just be the one that you want the memories to keep you company, or it can be practical if you're so inclined. But if you had to pick just one, which one would you pick? You know what, I'm kind of, even though I love fashion and I love beauty and I love, you know, dressing up, I'm essentially a practical person. <laughs> so I would probably go Egyptian magic because it will do so many things. Like it'll tame my hair, 
it'll keep my skin hydrated. It'll fix my dry, you know, genetically dry lips. So I reckon that's the go. I reckon it's Egyptian magic. Great choice. Sarah, it has been (laughs) such a delight to talk to you today and so enjoyed hearing all of your beauty memories and stories. So thank you so much for sharing. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beauty Island with the lovely Sarah Laidlaw. You can find out where to follow her, plus more about Festival of You, and of course all the products that she spoke about in today's episode in the show notes. If you fancy chatting more beauty, you can find me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast or my personal beauty account at Brittany Beauty S, where I regularly share products I'm loving and talk about all aspects of beauty culture. Or as mentioned earlier, you can sign up to my beauty newsletter, It's a Beauty for thoughts and recommendations and my beauty column straight to your inbox. Thank you, stay safe and well, and until next time, bye-bye.